Hey everyone, I'm Kai. Hello everyone, I am Bree. And this is CSA Talk. Welcome back. Another week, another episode of CSI Talk. Hi. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to let you all know that this is a safe space for you, as this always has been and always will be a safe space for you. I'm really sorry about when we put an episode out. It's just your girl had an early case of pneumonia and it was too way too tiring. And this school has a cold. Well, today we're talking about it's only episode still, but a very great episode called um, Unfriendly Sky. It's episode nine of season one. We went seven, eight, nine. Exactly. So I guess we could save the old joke. Why is six afraid of seven? It's seven, eight, nine. Well, so, <laughs> I forgot for a moment that I have a podcast with Gil Grissom. So, the official synopsis for the episode is the CSI team investigates the death of a first-class passenger on a flight to Las Vegas. Their investigation is a race against time because after 12 hours, the FAA will take over. To make matters worse, the other first-class passengers are very reluctant to cooperate, leading the team to suspect that they have some involvement in their fellow passengers there. And they are right. Absolutely right. <laughs> the name of the victim is Tony Kendall. The plane lands at the International Airport with a dead class first class passenger aboard. And every word in first class is a witness. And all the preliminary interviews say that the deceased passengers a panic attack and died before landing. Now, if a panic attack can in rare occurrences can actually lead to a death. It has happened. That is a possibility. So, Grissom and Rest, they look at the plane and they see that there is a lot of settings of disturbance, including a shattered wine bottle, broken beverage cord, and also bloody handprints and shoe impressions on the cockpit. So, then they look over the body that is lying between the rows one and two. And... Grissom finds a bloody CD on the floor nearby. So, he tells Rest, oh, we gotta tape this whole thing on. <laughs> this is a crime scene. <laughs> there is no way this guy had a panic attack and died. And he was right. In this case. Yeah. The sheriff tells Grissom that the FAA is gonna have 
the jurisdiction of the case. But they're not going to arrive until sunrise, which gives them 12 hours to work the case. And Kristen is like, oh, great. I love that. Yeah, you're absolutely love when they're going to take the case away from me. They have all the glory of the case, and they still have a deadline to find out who is the killer. And Grinson was like, well, but we still don't know if it is a homicide. But the sheriff's like, the kid did say both have the play. And Grinson is like, yeah, that still doesn't mean that the guy was murdered. It means that what if the murdered? Uh, but that definitely means that a guy did not have just a penalty that can die. At the fight, the victim as a 30 year old, Tony Candlewell, and the whole CSI team, they concluded that the disturbance was caused by more than one guy. And Grissom tells them that they have 10 witnesses. And all of them uh, have the same statement that Tony went berserk mid-flight. So he tells Catherine and Warwick that they have to interview the passengers. And Grissom and Sarah, they're going to process the plane. Nick has to go and get any information that he hears from the coroner. If I'm not mistaken, the coroner from this episode is not Doc Robbins. I don't think Doc Robbins was... I mean, I don't think the actor that played Robert... Robert David Hall, he, he wasn't a serious regular at this point yet. He was not. Yeah, he was not. He was going to become in a couple of episodes. So the two co-pilots, they tell Grissom that they saw Tony when he boarded the plane. And so everything was fine. But when the flight was about to land, they thought something was wrong because somebody told them, like, Okay, something's wrong in the first place. Tony was banging on the locked bathroom door. And he was refusing to use the bathroom on couch. I mean, okay, if I paid for first class, why would I want to use the bathroom in college? I paid for first class, why am I going to use the college bathroom? The co-pilot, he went and tried to talk to Tony, but he told Grissom that he never saw any sign that Tony was drunk or on drugs. That he saw that being on the brain made Tony agitated. Because a lot of people can be agitated when they're on a plane. An autopsy, Nick really does learn that Tony had a fever when he died. This particular hemorrhage on his eyes, which indicates that he was suffocating. There is also a contusion on the side of his neck, which is consistent with the heel of the boots and the coroner, which her name is Dr. Williams, says that there is a lot of contusions on his neck and back. And he also has a broken hand, which indicates aggressions, but he also has defensive wounds. At this point, I would have think that this guy was probably on the floor while 
he was getting stomped at. Some people were probably stomping on him and he was trying to defend himself. And the process, he got a broken hand. So Grissom and Sarah, they get the passenger manifest to, do, to determine where everybody was seated. They discovered that the C2C is broken and keeps swapping into 3C, which is where the victim was sitting. So Catherine and Brad, they questioned Nate Metz, which is the passenger that was sitting at the, the C2C. And he says that Tony kept kicking the back of his seat while he was trying to work. And he said that he did his best to ignore Tony, who was punching his own seat in anger. And the knuckles on his right hand are scraped, which confirmed that he did hit, he did hit something. But... Does that mean that he hit Tony instead of hitting the seat? You're like, what's going on? Aggressive, he ended up finding blood drops on seat 4B, which is away from where the accident took place. And the person that was sitting there, Everett, says that Tony uh, knocked Nate's laptops on the floor, which made Nate confront him. So Luke say that he tried to break into fights and he was cut with the CP in the process. And Warwick and Brad, they can tell that Lou has been drinking, probably because of the smell of the alcohol. So the fire attendant channel, she says that Tony has been complaining of a headache and said that 35 minutes before the, the and then he was was extremely agitated, which confirms what the co-pilot had said before. She said that she gave Tony a packet of aspirin, but she absolutely had no idea what made his attitude change when he first brought in the plane. So Grissom and Catherine. They think everyone is hiding something. They're like, that's suspicious. That's weird. Because nobody actually is giving them the information they need to solve what, what happened, to find out what happened. So the coroner, Dr. Williams, she says that Tony had a running humor. But actually, he also had intracranial bleeding. That was bleeding inside his head. That was bleeding inside his chest as well. And the rapture spleen. There was also multiple miniature liquor bottles found in the pocket in front of those seats, which confirmed that the victim had been Ricky. Sarah finds the neck of a broken wine bottle belonging to Marlene Valdez and there is blood on it and when Marlene is questioned about it she says that her husband tried to calm Tony down but he got shoved with the beverage crowd in return 
Based on the blood evidence, Grissom thinks that Marlene is actually the one that slashed Tony with the bottle. Because if Tony started bleeding, his next move would be to go to the bathroom. So when Grissom and Sarah, they check the bathroom to, and they find sexual activity. Meanwhile, Catherine and Warwick, they question Vic Mercer and her co-worker, Kyle Finn. Vicky, she says that she was in the bathroom while everything was going on and Kyle said that he had his headphones on and that he didn't know what was going on. And Catherine's like, yeah, okay. So the team now has the 10 suspects. Everyone was refusing to talk. And Ward thinks that the killer is in the group. And the rest of them are afraid to give her up or give him up. I mean, kind of makes sense. You don't want to give the killer up because you think the killer might go you next. So Sarah ended up collecting fibers in one of the seats and they appear to be a match to the cat haze that Tony was wearing. When shoe prints are found on Tony's jacket, Catherine, she has everyone hands in their shoes for comparison, but the way she does it is she, she just shows them with the bag. It's just like, everywhere, give me your shoe. I don't have time for this. I just want everyone's shoes. Like, just just give it to me. I don't care if you don't want to. I can go and get a warrant if I want to. Just give me your shoe. And everyone gives her their shoe. They find out that there are three separate impressions on the jacket. And, and, and those impressions belong to Lou Everett, Max Valdez, and Dr. Kiara, Kiara Earth. Burley, the good doctor, a shrewd surgeon, said that she got a black eye. She said she tried to prevent the other passengers from fighting, but she got elbowed in the face by Lou. And her shoe impression in the back of Tony's jacket says that he was already on the ground when she accidentally stomped on him. Okay, makes sense, uh-huh. After making the passengers back off and give her space, she gave Tony CPR, but she couldn't revive him. And her daughter, Emily, tells Brad she didn't see what was happening. I mean, she's a kid, and also this kid has Brad's for his gun. When Brad's went to talk to her, like, what is it with guns, people? Why are we asking for guns? Why? Why do we need guns? And Bryce is like, now I give you my badge. It's a lot safer. On the plane, Grissom is told that the good doctor stayed. He tells Sarah to find out the fibrillator. But what happens is, then the fibrillator was never used. If the doctor tried to revive the patient, she would have used the defibrillator, not her own hands, right? And being the very least, the flight attendant would have known where the defibrillator was stored. I don't know if she guys ever been on a plane, but 
if you go to a plane, the flight attendant will tell you where the defibrillators are in case of an emergency. If somebody has a heart attack or something like that, the flight attendant will tell you where the defibrillators are and tell you kind of like how to use it. So you know how to save someone's life. Shannon tells Catherine by the time she got to the paddles, Tony was already dead. And she also says that she strained to use the paddles if someone is having a heart attack. But Tony didn't appear to have one. She didn't appear to be having one. Okay. It makes sense. I mean, even if someone's not having a heart attack, if they're passed out and they're not breathing, it's still, I mean, so there is like this one man that was close to everything that was happening that was sitting on, on the seat 1A. His name was Preston Cash, but he tells Grissom and Warwick that he's, he's blind. He's only able to see shadows, but he's able to identify Lul, Max, and Nate from their voices. And they need to know everything that happened from the time that Tony made the cockpit door to the time that he died. So Preston tells them that he heard Tony banging on the door. Then several people trying to subdue him at once. And after like a brief broadcast, the entire section of the play was and that's when the victim was dead. Right? If everyone was silenced, it's because he was dead. So the coroner pages Grissom and tells him about what she found. And when she opened up the victim's call, she found out that his brain was incredibly swollen and not from one or two blows to the head. The spinal fluid had abnormal protein levels, which leads the coroner to conclude that Tony was actually suffering from an undiagnosed encephalitis, which means that his brain was swollen and that the symptoms can actually manifest itself as a heart attack. And when the attitude and the inner pressure changes, he was out of his mind. All the evidence that they gather contradicts everything people said. Everything people said, as they usually does, right? So they go to the plane and try to recreate the scene. And I absolutely love when they go with the word read. Oh, dude. I love that. Nick and Warwick on America. Catherine's the mom. Sarah is... I mean, just, I can't remember if Sarah was a grism with the social outcast. I guess it, it kind of fits them in a way because Warwick and Nick, they kind of like behave like married couple a lot of times. Catherine was always the mom. Grissom was a social outcast so Tony was the only one not in on the action if I remember correctly okay Tony whose brain was swelling it started to kick Nate's seat 
Nate stood up, confronted Tony, while a drunk Lou joined him. While Lou tried to hit Tony, he missed it. And Tony's voice with a CD. Marlene pushed Max to join everything, to join the flight, and Tony shoved Max into the beverage part to yeah. defend her husband. Marlene got up and swatched Tony with a white bottle, which explains the defensive behind his hand. So Tony ran to the cockpit door, and when he couldn't open, he ran to the exit door. Because there was blood on the latch handles, he tried to open the door while the plane was still flying. With he had opened the door while the plane was still flying, everyone was going to die because there was going to be a different enough pressurization and people were literally going to fall off the plane. The other passengers, they forced him to the ground. Probably which is a boy we could say it in. But Sarah pointed out that Tony's body was not found by the exit, but near his seat. You know, I love her. She is always the one pointing out, you know, the their theories. She's like, oh, you guys, I love your theory, but it's wrong. Love that. And she said that they realized that Tony tried to escape. But the passengers, they had a mob mentality, so they decided to kick him to death. They thought that the good doctor, she had rolled Tony onto his back to cover for herself and the other passengers. And Salas gives everything to the chef and tells him that five people need to be arrested. But the chef says nobody's going to get charged. Because everyone acted out out of preservation. And the jury would see it the same way, even though the evidence says otherwise. And Grissom, back in the lab, Grissom was like, give one person the hand as the victim. If it was a kid, he would still be alive. I mean, it's true. There's a lot of people, if you ask them if they're okay, they would still be I mean, it really goes a long way if you had someone if they're okay. The thing about mom mentality, and I've studied that on my university. Mom mentality is when everyone, not not necessarily like one you see in this episode, is that when they acted out of preservation because obviously this guy wanted to open the door of the play while the play was flying and everybody was going to die. I'm not saying that the passengers were right. Obviously not. But mom mentality is when everyone firmly believes that whatever they're doing is right. And they never once stop and ask themselves if they in fact what, are they, what they're doing is right to someone else. Kind of, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of this one situation I went through in our community. Like last year, actually, when I defended the writers 
opinion about something. I remember they cut in a scene off from an episode. There was supposed to be a scene. Oh, oh yeah. There was supposed to be Grissom and Sierra were supposed to kiss at this one episode in which Sierra says that she was going to talk to his internal affairs lady. And they decided to cut the scene from the episode because the episode itself was dealing with a lot. The story of the episode was about this girl that they find that she was killed by her ex-boyfriend's dad. And they planned out that she had been sexually assaulted by him and multiple times and all. Can't remember exactly the plot line, but the plot line was really upsetting. I had at the time speculated that something had happened to Allie because of the way that she behaved. And but the thing is, we I went to Twitter and everybody was mad because they cut that one scene. It was not the writers who cut it. It was the editors who cut it. Yeah, it was the, the editors who cut it. I mean, I don't know. I, I, was, I was beside the editors at that point because, I mean, if you look back at the episode, it didn't really make a lot of sense because in the storyline, they were dealing with the Hodges case and also the, the case of the week. So, but yeah, they shouldn't have put it in the promo. That's what they should not have done. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a last minute decision. I don't know how, how that works, but I can't remember very well what I did, but I did decided to stay with the writer and with the editors at that point. And I was like, if they did mm-hmm. this, if they, if they did it for a reason, and and people were attacking Joshua Fox. Yeah, and not not only were people attacking Jordan Fox, they were attacking William Peterson. People were attacking even like they found his wives and and then I was like, "This is ridiculous!" And I had I had to say something, and I said something, and this is where mod mentality came in. I'm saying this because. This was the only group that attacked me. Middle-aged women from Isle Love of the Globe were attacking me. And I was like, imagine taking time of your day to attack me on Twitter because you don't necessarily agree with my... But then you were not only attacking me, you were also attacking... Batters the producers, and then it came to a point in which you started to attack my friend as well, because the people were so focused on this mom mentality that I, that I am right, I am right, I am always gonna be right, no matter what. Like the song, I could do, you could do anything, I could do better than you. That song from one of the, from a Broadway musical, and and it's really. I'm saddened because this episode is from this episode is from 2000 and mom mentality is actually a social fact is a social event that had 
that has been happening since uh, humans are humans. You know, I've said it, you know, and a lot of people said this. But I feel like it's, it has been normalized to cause harm to someone simply because you don't agree with their opinion. And I feel like this show has shown us time and time again how detrimental that can be to a lot of on so many levels. Especially like this is this is like this is our favorite show. I believe this is your favorite show too. I mean probably more if not your favorite show, one of your favorite shows too. This won't make us any better than the good doctor that turned the, the victim's body around to try and save herself. Or all the victims that when all the, the unlucky people that will not get charged because they were thinking about themselves. Oh, but they were trying to save themselves because that guy was going to open the door mid-flight. Yeah, but just like Kristen said, it, that none of that would have, would have happened if somebody had just asked him if he was okay. Yep. And one thing we did not talk about yet is how in the end of the episode, they all talked about what would happen if they were in the same situation. Catherine, she would do anything to protect her daughter. Catherine, time and time again, she yeah. will do, she will move worlds. Yeah. I think Grissom would have probably been the one if he thought what was happening. He would ask that guy, okay, to, he can talk to, can talk to me. I feel like we all, I mean, Grissom in his soul, I mean, in the beginning, um, I mean, at least in season one, Grissom was a social outcast, but if he saw somebody in that position, he would, if he saw anybody on struggling here, he'd be like, you need to talk. Isn't I mean it's not like just said what Sarah said and then episode she's she's like I wish I was like you Grissom I wish I didn't feel anything because Grissom did feel I think all of them did all Grissom of them did knew how to conceal it yeah I mean that's the episode we're gonna talk about next week I mean so as I agrees all of those cases affect them he just knew how to hide in and how to filter it better. After so many years of working on sealed. And I think this is what oh Jesus, my throat is really bad today. Sorry, I really feel like this is what we all need to do. Some situations you just have to filter things to through. I certainly need to to filter a lot of stuff stuff that has been happening lately in my life guys you, you all have no idea some of the things that i have to filter lately but that's really a thing you know what would i do in that type of situation i'd probably be scared but again i wouldn't have money to pay to be in the first class i'd probably be on the economy not on first, well, not on first class. Same here. I can't even afford economy. Well, 
next week, what are we going to be talking about next week? We're going to be talking about, well, you're still on season one, but we're going to go up a few episodes. Episode 19. Gentle, gentle. Good episode. Gentle, gentle. It's a good episode, but also a very heavy episode because it involves a kid. Not a kid, a little baby. A little baby. Little, little baby. Well, we love you guys. Love y'all. So much. Thank you guys so much. I love you all. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Love y'all.